But I've been praying so much and I was reading the scripture this week and I was reading Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 44. And God speaks so clearly to Israel. God's in covenant with Israel and he speaks. But I want to just share this scripture so you have context for where that song came from. Isaiah 44 um, verse, we'll start in verse 1. It says, but now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. And I want you to lean into this if you're taking notes, Isaiah 44, 6. It says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not, be pro, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. How many of you are grateful we serve the God of gods, the King of kings, the one who started it all, the one who's finishing it all? Amen. And amen. I'm excited to dive in today. If we have not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Ashley Hollis, and my husband and I are the lead pastors here. Ooh, look at Elijah even getting a tablecloth. Wow, he's like setting up. Here we go. Well, if this is your first time, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Soul Soundcheck Making Mental Peace a Priority. And we've been leaning in, and if you have not been a part of the October series yet, I encourage you, lean in, jump on our YouTube, on our social, wherever it is, listen to these messages. Elijah has been talking so much about how to connect your mind and your brain. How do you turn from fear and anxiety to peace? How do we process that? It's not just getting rid of thoughts of fear. It's replacing them and having thoughts in our mind. And so it's been an incredible series. It has rocked my life. And today I am leaning into week three, a place for pain. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, a place for pain, not a place of pain, a place for pain. And we're going to dive into some scriptures today. I'm really looking forward to this message. Um, I am going to give you a bunch of scriptures that I encourage you to write down because we're just not going to have time to read them all. But I believe biblical context is king. If you go to a church where they pull one scripture and say what they want, that would be a problem. And so you need to look at this scripture and see what's happening and how it applies to your life and how it fits in. So you're going to want to write these down as we go. We're going to start leaning into this. But I want to update us a little bit on what's happening right now in the Middle East. Many of you have probably seen that on the news, on social media, anywhere that you've looked. 
And, you know, I was talking actually this morning to Devin, and she was like, you know, it's always crazy when the church gets into these kinds of conversations. I was like, I know, I'm sure people come in and say, where are we going with this? What's going to happen if it's anything? And I want to ask you today for grace, and I also want to ask you to remove political lenses. Because this is not a political war that is happening. You can disagree with a government. You can disagree with all sorts of things. This is a humanitarian issue. And this is a spiritual war that goes far back beyond last Saturday or even beyond when we were in the Holocaust or even beyond when Rome tried to come into Israel. This goes 4,000 years ago to Genesis 13 through about 21, okay? And so I want to give you context to what's happening because I recognize that our media often wants us to pick sides, right? Anyone else see that? And you can watch whichever media you want, and they want you to stand with this country, and this media wants you to stand with this country. And I'm not asking you to stand with a country or stand with a government. I'm asking you to look at this through biblical eyes and through what God has to say, okay? And so I want to take us back. This goes far, far back. And I'm going to give you a bit of context and then jump into what we're talking about, our pain, exchanging it for peace, If you want to know, a lot of people in the church world are having conversations about Israel and how it plays into the end times and what does the future look like. And Elijah's uncle preached one of the most profound messages I have ever heard on Israel and peace last Sunday. And if you want that link, I'm not even going to try to preach it because I won't preach it like his uncle Mike. So he can give you that link after church. It was phenomenal. And it was so peace-filling. So I encourage you to look at that. But I want to take you back to where it all started. And I want to go back and get just set the context for us. We're going to go into Genesis 16, okay? And in Genesis, God has promised to Abram. Now, if you've been around the church, you may have heard of Abraham and Sarah. Before that, their names were Abram and Sarai, okay? And so we're going to go back there. God makes this promise to Abram, and he promises that he is going to bless and be in covenant with his country. And he brings Abram out, and he's like, do you see how many stars there are in the sky? Far beyond that is going to be your descendants. And I am giving you this land where Abram was wandering at the moment. He says, I'm going to give you this land through your descendants. Now, plot twist, Abram was 86 years old, okay? And his wife would be 76 about at that time, okay? So he's like, goes back to his wife, and this is a brief version. That's why I tell you, read all five chapters so you can get the biblical. But brief version, he goes back to Sarah, says, hey, God said he's going to promise us all of this land through our descendants. And Sarah's like, um... 76. Can you imagine if your husband is like at 70 some? Like, surprise. And so she's like, no, Abram, that's not going to work. God, no, I know he promised it to you, but no, go sleep with Hagar, my handmaid, sleep with her so that you can have a child so that you don't miss out on God's promise. And so Abram's like, okay. So he sleeps with Hagar, has a son named Ishmael, okay? And this is where we find ourselves in Genesis 16. So now Abram slept, I'm telling you, this was like before reality TV, like they would have gotten paid. So can you imagine this? This is like reality TV wildly, okay? So Abram's here. He slept with Hagar. She's pregnant. Now Sarah finds out, Sarai finds out that Hagar is pregnant and is like, Abram, 
you caused me this pain. I'm like, yo, <laughs> like you're the one who told him to go. But anyway, so we got all this happening. So now we pick up, if you want to jump with me in your Bible, if not, I'll read it. Genesis 16, verse 7. Now Hagar is fleeing the camp because Sarai is upset that she is now carrying her husband's child. Genesis 16, 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that you will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. She gave him the name. The Lord spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, it is still there between Kadesh and Barrett. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was, six, was 86 years old, and when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, just go to chapter 17, verse 1. Ready? When Abram was 99 years old, does anyone else wonder what happened in the camp for 13 years? Like, what happened? I mean, that's got to be wild to think about. We don't hear God speak. I'm not saying God wasn't speaking. I'm saying in the story, we don't hear God. We don't hear Abram. We don't hear Sarai. We don't hear Hagar. Ishmael, you got a 13-year-old son now. Wild days in the camp, okay? We pick up in Genesis 17. And I'm going to get more into this. But what happens is as you go through the chapter, skip over 18, 19, then Abram, God comes and changes his name from Abram to Abraham and says, Abram, that is not what I promised you. I promised you descendants through you and Sarah and your son Isaac. This is why in Old Testament you see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was like, I promised you a son, Isaac. And now Abram's like, okay, so Sarah laughs. You read the whole story. It's hilarious. Sarah's laughing. God's like, why is Sarah laughing? She goes, I didn't laugh. And God's like, you did laugh. I mean, it's hilarious, okay, if you read through it. So then Sarah ends up pregnant, has a child named Isaac. Fast forward now. She has Isaac, and God reiterates to Abraham, this is the son that my promises will be fulfilled through. This is the son that I am in covenant with. We sang about it this morning in worship. Our God is a promise keeper, way maker, miracle worker. But Abraham took it into his own hands to fulfill God's promise. And so now Sarah has Isaac. Everyone's still tracking with me? Okay. Sarah has Isaac. Hagar has Ishmael, 13 years older than Isaac. When Isaac's born, Sarah says, get Hagar out of the camp. Her and Ishmael out of the camp because they're going to try to take my son's blessing. And Abram's sitting here distraught. It's his two sons. The one is an illegitimate, not God's promised son. One is his promised son from God, but his two sons. Put yourself in this story. And God says, Abraham, he has to go. He will still be a nation because he is 
of your descent, but that is not my promised land, and that is not in who I'm covenant with. If you steady back through the story and keep going through that, Ishmael was the first Arab. Isaac became the Jewish people. So that is where we see this hate. I bring you to give you context between what is happening between the Hamas terrorist group and the Israelite people. This is why we have seen God's chosen people, the Jews, under attack generation after generation. Old Testament, New Testament, my grandparents' age, my parents' generation, and our generation, we've seen it. And this is not just, yes, it's over territory, but this is a spiritual war that is happening because Ishmael, and if you look, I, I don't read the Quran, but in the Quran it says Abraham and Ishmael were in covenant and promised this land. And the Bible came back and said, no, my promise is with Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is what we're seeing play out. So as you're watching the news, I'm not asking you to take sides, and I'm not asking you to pick a country over a country. I stand wholeheartedly that this is terrorism. This is not war. This is terrorism against women and children. But I will tell you, this does not, and do not let the media change you to where this is Israel or Palestine. These are people involved, okay? These are people. And God is in covenant with Israel. He has made promises to Israel that he will protect, he will fight for, he will stand up on. And this, he is in covenant, in, in promise with Israel. And so as we go through this, I'm like watching everything this week. When you have scriptural context, it's kind of like when you watch a thriller movie for the second time. You ever watched a thriller movie for the first time? And you're, now I'm not a scary movie person. I will just lay that out there. Do not invite me for a scary movie. But I do love like um, Captain Phillips, like Saving Private Ryan. Like I like the what's coming next kind of movies. I will tell you my problem is I always start to watch those movies around midnight. And then I'm like, wired at 2 a.m. I'm like shaking in bed and Elijah's like laying there. I'm like, oh my word, what's happening? And you know, the waves come and it's like so intense and it's always crazy. And then at 2, I'm like, well, I got to watch something else to go to sleep. So now it's just a mess. But I say that to say the first time you watch a movie, it's like, what's coming next? Whoa, the music changed. Oh my word. And it's this heart pumping. I know we're in creative. You build it. You build the story how you want it to be. But when you watched a movie for the second time, it's still, you have to be like, whew, okay, wait, they're good. Okay, oh yeah, I know the end of this movie. Okay, right? But you know what's coming. And that's why it's important for us as men and women of God to be scripturally sound, to read our Bible. Because God is telling us what's happening. God is telling us he's in covenant with Israel. God is telling us that people will wage war against his people. And I hope that in knowing that, it lets you, I don't say rest assured because I believe we should all be on our knees in prayer for peace and what's happening. I believe that we should be covering in every way you can standing with the people who are being massacred. You know, they've said on the news, like, what is being shown, we can't even watch. It creates so much pain. And so we find ourselves today in the midst of this moment, pain in the world, 
but maybe pain in your own life. I don't know how you came in here. Maybe you came in here thinking all about things at your job. Maybe you came in here thinking all about things with your family. And I got this relationship, and I got that, and my kids did this, and I never thought they'd do that, or my kids did this, and I thought they would not. Like, you put it any way you want. And we begin to feel this pain. And then pain, if not placed properly, becomes fear, and it becomes anxiety, and it becomes depression, and it becomes discouragement. And so today, I want to talk to us about how do we find peace in the midst of pain? Because you see, what we see happening in the Middle East boils all the way down to, in Genesis, Abraham took God's promise into his own hands. And as I was praying through this week, man, I was just praying over our church. I was praying over each of you, just looking through the list, just praying through. God, I pray for this person by name. I pray for this person. And God began to speak to me so clearly and so profoundly, I believe, that there are so many, maybe every person in this room, that God has promised you something. God, go back to it. He's promised you a family of X. He's promised you a relationship like this. He's promised you that you're going to be generous and make this kind of impact. He's promised you all the things. And then in that same phrase, there's so many of us that have taken this into our own hands. Right? Maybe you've taken the promise and you've been like, God, you promised me that kind of relationship. But it's not happening on my timetable. So I found this guy. He's like 60% of what I was promised. So like, let's just roll with it. Or God, you promised me this for my business. You promised this to me for my team. You promised this to me for my family. This is where if you haven't read the book yet, I will tell you everyone until the day I die, read the book, The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Draw the circle. It is incredible. It talks about praying things full circle. But I wonder if we find ourselves in that moment. This would be great, right? If we were two years old and we all understood this and then we just followed every promise for the rest of our lives and stayed in exactly where God wanted us. But what if we find ourselves today in a place of pain? How do we take that pain and where do we place it to navigate what's coming? And I want you to write down these three things. Number one, remind yourself of the God you serve. And it is very strategic, these are in order, okay? I am like a very bulleted analytical person. So number one, remind yourself of the God you serve. I read scripture earlier from Isaiah 43 and 44 from where that song came. But you see Isaiah 43, if we go back a bit, it says in verse 15, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says. He has made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they were lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I would ask you, number one, do you know the God you serve? Do you know who you're putting your trust in? If not, I would encourage you, sit down with your Bible. In the Old Testament, it's talking all about, and God is such an incredible God. I, I say this every time I preach, 
the Old Testament puts Hollywood to shame. Like the stories, the power, the things that have been spoken about that we are living in right now in the New Testament. And so we see God talk about everything he is. He was the beginning and he will be the end. Like Elijah said, he was the author and the finisher. He was the only one through then and now and tomorrow and Friday and December and March and the end of time. He is who he says he is, but we have to remind ourselves who we serve. It's like Elijah's just barely shared when he's going to walk on the water, when Peter's going to walk on the water, when he has his eyes, if you read the story in the New Testament, he has his eyes on Jesus. He is walking across the Sea of Galilee. And then he takes his eyes off like, whoa, hold on. I just found myself on an ocean. Like, can you, or a sea, whatever. Can you imagine, like, all of a sudden you're on these waves? And then he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. Jesus saves him. It's keeping our eyes focused on the God we serve. The world will tell you everything is spinning. I am, have my limit on social media because I'm like, I know I got to do it for my business, but I am like limiting the junk that comes into my mind. Why? Not because I can't handle it. Not because I want to live outside a rock, like go to Twitter or whatever it's called. It's like 160 characters. It's because I don't want it to be my focus. I am going to stare at my Lord and Savior The God who's rescued me, the God who saved me, the God who protected me, the God who healed me, the God who provided for my children, that God. And then I'm going to glance at the world and say, all right, here we go. Let's go, God, and keep moving. Number two, rest assured on the provision God says he will provide for you. I asked him to bring up this table and chair, and I want you to go in Psalms 23. And you can write down this, you can read the chapter later. It's the chapter, the Lord is my shepherd. You may have heard this or prayed this before. But I want you to look at Psalms 23, verse 5. And I want to unpack this, the provision of God. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You see, the, the idea, the, the picture that is painted for us, this is written by David, is this, is a table in the presence of his enemies, okay? Um, Billy, will you come up and just help me really quick? I'm calling you up. Give it up for Billy. What? You guys, Billy's amazing. Billy, come sit here. I'm picking Billy because he is an incredible chef, and we're talking about preparing a table. I will never feel comfortable to prepare a real table before Billy because he's such a good chef. Okay, sit down in your chair. Now, here's the scripture that I want to paint for you. Billy walks up those stairs, and I have no idea what's going on in your week. No idea. You came out of big phone calls. You came out of working on stuff. You came out of things in relationships. I have no idea. And what God's talking about is you walk up, and it's like you walking into my house And I'm over here preparing a meal. And Billy comes in and says, Ash, do you need help? And I'm like, no, no, I got, now he's probably going to be like, are you sure you got this? But he's like, I'm like, no, 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 I got this. Sit down. And it's Billy sitting there resting in the middle of whatever he's going through. He's not grabbing a meal from Ash, getting it from McDonald's and heading out the door. It's me preparing a meal for him. 
getting it ready. And then in the midst of any stress, any anxiety, any thoughts, bringing that and saying, here, all I have is a bottle, here, set this on the table. It's God preparing a table, a source of nourishment, a source of strength, a source of provision for you and Billy and me in the midst of everything else. And what does he mean in the presence of my enemies? If you're not aware of David's life, check this out. David was in an unrelenting battle. In his early years, he was a shepherd, despised by his older brothers. Then he lived as a fugitive, hunted by King Saul. He became the king of Israel into a divided kingdom. And then he ends his career or reign running from his son who is throwing a rebellion against him. Talk about in the presence of my enemies. And I create this picture for you and ask Billy to come because I don't know if you've walked up to the table and you've said, God, I'll just grab something real quick and go. Like, I don't even have time to sit because I have so much else to do and I have so much else to work on. And God is saying it's present tense. God prepares a table for you, not prepared a table for David, prepares a table for you in the middle of your enemies, in the middle of the fear, in the middle of the stress, in the middle of the anxiety, God set you up for nourishment. Anyone else grateful God does that? Give it up for Billy. Thank you. I always joke about this because we were like, you guys should come over for dinner, but you're like legit chefs, so you just can't judge me, okay? But it is the, it is the meaning that matters. I don't know what that looks like for you. And maybe you feel like you've walked up here and you're like, yeah, I feel surrounded. I feel like I'm surrounded by family relationships. I feel like I'm surrounded by financial stress. I feel like I'm surrounded by what I hear in the news. I feel like I'm surrounded on all fronts. Number one, number two, you have to rest assured in this provision of God, he wants to provide strength and sustenance and healing and faith and rest and grace at the table for you and I. The third thing is retrain yourself for where to take your pain. And I think this is important, and I put this as number third, number three, because you have to know the first two before you can retrain yourself where to take the pain. Have you ever tried to hand something to somebody that you don't trust? Does that just stress you out more than even doing it yourself? Like, maybe if you, some of you want help cleaning the house, but no one cleans it like you. So you're like, no, I mean, you're not helping me, but you didn't load the dishwasher like I was supposed to, so I can't even trust how you're gonna load the dishwasher, right? And it's fun. we laugh about it, but it's true. This is one of my things that I work through as a leader so much is because my personality, I have to work to trust people. And so if I give someone something and I don't, I can't trust them, I'm like, oh, can't hand it off again. All right. And this is something I've always worked through with leadership coaches, with everything. I'm praying through it daily. But it's important for us to know, number one, who God is, and number two, his provision that he creates. Because when you know who God is and you know the provision he creates, then thirdly, you can know I can bring my pain to you. I can bring everything to you because all of the sudden 
I trust you. I trust God that you might not show up in my time, but you're going to show up. I trust that you, things might not happen like I think they should happen, but you have them under control. And I want to share this quote with you. Dr. Caroline Leaf is incredibly profound Christian psychologist, behavioral therapist. And if you have not read any of her books, great author, read them all. They're good. But she has this quote and she says, often the physical pain we feel when stressed or anxious is what hurts the most. If you can learn to sit with the pain for a little while and listen to it and try to learn from it, rather than try to numb it away with distractions or substances you may find, you can become more comfortable in the midst of pain and suffering, more stress resilient, and even heal faster. As Sean's going to come and we're going to close out today. I, I really wonder as we think about this, where we place our pain. Some of us have had so many places of pain that we're a little bit scared to set our pain down. Some places have caused so much pain to you. Some people have caused so much pain to you that these things have happened and you say, I can't give it over because I don't know. I've seen what all the other people have done to me, so I cannot also trust. I can't give it to God. And I wonder, sitting at this table, we think of the God we serve. We think of the way he loves us. We think of the way he provides for us. I wonder what it was like when Sarah was sitting at this table in the midst of a promise of God, surrounded on all fronts. She just found out. She sent her husband away. Now he's having a child with someone else. She's 90 when she has Isaac. She's probably sitting here thinking, is God crazy? Is that really possible? Like, I would. I think sometimes we read stories and we know the end of them. So we're like, oh, of course God provided. But like, let's be real. Like a 90-year-old? No. You'd be like, what? And I wonder what it felt like to be surrounded. And sometimes that's the hardest part of our story. Is that sometimes we're sitting here and we haven't overcome the armies yet. And we haven't won the battle yet. And we haven't moved there or here or everywhere we're supposed to go. And so we're here sitting here saying, God, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this pain. And the beautiful thing is, all God asks us to do is bring our pain. You don't have to find peace because I will tell you, honest to God. You cannot drink away your pain. You cannot sleep away your pain. You cannot party away your pain. You cannot work away your pain. You cannot spend away your pain. The beautiful thing of God is we come in all our recklessness and all our baggage and we come so tainted. And if you feel that today, my Gosh, I hope that you feel in great company with everyone God used in the Bible because God used every person that we would look at and say, what? You're crazy. Like you can never do that. And all we have to do is bring our pain and we set it at the feet of God and we say, I don't even know what to say. It's like Elijah said today, like when you don't know what to say, call the name of Jesus. At that name, darkness flees. At that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everything will stop. My goodness, I have been overseas on missions trips 
where I have seen spirits cast out at the name of Jesus. I have seen people who are blind see at the name of Jesus. It's, it's not something that we just read about. He's the same God. And he wants to do that for you, and he wants to do that for me. And today as we continue, and we're just going to end with an altar time, here's what I want to do. I would love for you just to stand if you would, and I would love for you to close your eyes. I want this to be between you and God. It has nothing to do with me nor any other person here who invited you, who brought you, who you're sitting next to. It has to do with you and God. And I want to ask you if maybe you walked in here today in a place of pain. Maybe you walked in here today like Abraham trying to take your promise into your own hands. Maybe you walked in saying, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know. Maybe you are here in such fear because of what we are seeing play out. I don't know how you walked in, but here's what I want to do. There is something so scriptural about the altar, because in the Old Testament, the altar is where sacrifices were laid. In the Old Testament, when they were under the new covenant, in the Old Covenant, okay, in the Old Covenant, they would have to bring sacrifices for their sins. You hurt your brother, you bring two donkeys, and you hurt, you know, you lied to your parents, you bring this, and you stole, and you do this. Then we fast forward to the new covenant. And in the new covenant, God said, the only God of any religion on the face of the planet who did not ask you to sacrifice yourself, he sacrificed himself. And he sent his son and said, I want to reconcile my people. I am in covenant with my people. I have chosen you from the beginning of time. And so we find God has come. And in the new covenant, there is something so special about this altar because it's just setting ourselves aside. It's making a step. It's laying it down and saying, whatever I brought in, pain, anxiety, fear, stress, controlling, all of it. I'm going to leave it right here, right now. And when I walk out, I pray to God you feel 10 pounds lighter. I pray that you feel like God's in control. God's got my life and God's got my family and God's got my business and God's got our city and God's got our country and God's got Israel. He's got it all because he's a promise keeper. He's a miracle worker. He's a deliverer.